Hi, welcome again to Healthcare Marketing Insights for the week of July 27, 2009. This is Chris Bevelo, president of Interval, healthcare marketing agency that puts on the podcast. And I'm joined via phone lines with Adam. Hello. Good to be here. Adam, Adam Meyer, director of design. That's me. Technology extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds I don't good. Know what the, yeah, I don't know what the label is for that technology I like savant that. i like that i don't i i don't like the word guru because it's so overused it makes me want to punch myself guru. whenever i hear yeah. it so i'll take i'll take savant I'll, i like ex, savant. what was the other one explorer no it was extraordinaire oh yeah i like that that sounds That's, good i just made that up i like yeah. it too well savant though savant's not i mean usually savant is preceded by idiot and you just sit on the floor rocking back and forth with your. Yeah, and you can count toothpicks and whatnot, but it's usually like a combination of there's, you know, there's idiocy, but there's also brilliance. And right. I, I, you're not an idiot in most things. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I, I, I appreciate that. So, so Savant's probably appropriate. I wish I could well, say the same in return. Just I kidding. Know, I know. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's only fair. Okay, so uh, well, where, where should we start? Should we start with Chicago? I don't sure. know what we wanted. Uh, we were in Chicago. I think we tweeted that last week. Uh, we were there for a client conference, a retreat, and uh, it's been a while since I had been to Chicago. Uh, I used to spend a lot of time there uh, in college, after college. Me and my buddies would go to Chicago, and we'd catch a Cubs series, or we'd you know go there for New Year's Eve or something. Uh, and I've always loved Chicago, uh, and it, it I still love it. So cool. Have, have you spent a lot of time there? Uh, I haven't. That's the second time I've been there. The first time I went there, I, I drove down. My wife and I drove down there. I, I went for a conference probably a year, year and a half, two years ago, um, and I vowed never to drive to Chicago again. Love the city, but I will, from now on, always fly into Chicago. And why was that? Just the traffic was ridiculous. I mean, compared to compared to Minneapolis traffic, traffic in Chicago is just yes crazy. Not it's not good. If so, just in case you've never been through this fine nation and tr- and drove in it, Houston is worse than Chicago. Oh, Houston man. is Houston is Chicago like twenty miles an hour faster. <laughs> it's literally like psychotic. At least the last time. Now it's been. Jeez, it's probably been 15 years since I was in Houston driving, but uh, it was not pleasant. Chicago's not pleasant either, though uh, a neighbor of mine told me after I got back that now they have those uh, traffic cameras everywhere. And so when they have a construction zone that says 45 miles an hour, you better go 45 or they will ticket you every (laughs) single time. So he said that he thought that traffic had changed dramatically. Now I'd be interested to hear from people who live in Chicago uh, as to whether that's true, and yeah. if it is true, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, well, it's other, other than traffic, Chicago is just an amazing, amazingly cool city. Yeah, so we spent time uh, downtown primarily at Millennium Park. Uh, so there was like a Brazilian orchestra one night mm-hmm. playing outside. Uh, it, they had those fountains. It was just the bean. gorgeous. Yes. And it's always st- fun to visit a big city. <clears throat> and we stayed at a pretty cool hotel. Too. The Bur- was it the Burnham Hotel? The Bur- Hotel Burnham, yes. Hotel Burnham, kind of a classic, old school, old style 
Chicago hotel. It's just, uh, I don't know, had a lot of character. Really small rooms, but all the decors seem to still have, have that old vibe to it. And then you open up your uh, yes. closet in the bedrooms, and there's zebra print and <laughs> leopard print bathrobes that I didn't get a chance to try either one of them, but uh, I wish I had now. Yes, it's very humorous that you had a choice. It wasn't just zebra and it wasn't just cheetah. They had one of each. Yes. Presumably male and female, or I guess it wouldn't have to be male and female. Partner and partner, spouse and spouse. I don't know. That could very well could be. And and while I'm all for the old school uh, kind of architecture and style, I also appreciate modern amenities, which this also had. So yep, yep. it wasn't like you had the claw foot bathtub uh, that you had to like pour your own water in. It wasn't, it wasn't that at all. It just had the old design and decor yet, you know, you still had wireless internet and good stuff like that. So right. we'd recommend that place. Definitely. Okay. So we had a great time in Chicago. Uh, I hope to get back there again, much sooner than probably the boy 10, 15 years since I've been there <laughs> before. Maybe not drive though. I'll take your advice and fly in. Yes. Okay, let's talk. Uh, let's move on to healthcare marketing measurement, which we talk about so much, uh, and our blood boils, and uh, we have lots of <laughs> angst on it. And you know, I thought it might be good. Somebody uh, suggested that we talk about measurement uh, when it comes to healthcare marketing strategies and tactics, and of course, social media. And we've, you know, we've talked about ROI quite a bit. And we've we've tossed out the quote by Einstein. I'm not going to say it again because if you've heard this, you've heard it a million times. Uh, but oftentimes, uh, folks get stuck on, uh, you know, setting objectives for whether it's a campaign, a particularly mar- a particular marketing initiative, a strategy, a tactic or whatever, uh, trying to measure the success of that. And, you know, one of the things that I don't think we've ever debated, Adam, is just the question of if something can be measured uh, conclusively, does that by itself make whatever that is, a strategy or tactic, more valuable than one that, that can't be measured as cleanly? Uh, so does the fact that you can measure something uh, concretely affect whether or not you should use that? Right. And I think it depends on who you talk to. Uh, there are certainly people that aren't in marketing that would say absolutely positively yes. So in other words, if you can't measure it, don't do it. Uh, and I think we would argue, no, that's, you're missing the boat on a lot of stuff. Uh, now, of course it depends what we mean by measure. Uh, and then this is where we get trapped in that ROI conversation. But, but what's your thought? I mean, should you, when you're looking at a campaign and you're considering how to measure it, uh, should a particular strategy be put aside because you can't measure it? What what do you think? Or measure it, uh, using concrete terms like uh, financial return or, uh, you know, participation or volumes. If you can't tie it back to something concrete like that, should you, should it be weighed further down the list? Well, it's it's a tricky question. I think, especially in in our industry in in healthcare. Um, you know, a lot of the hospitals we work with, and I think just a lot of the hospitals in general don't necessarily have the means through which to effectively track things like marketing efforts without. Without, I mean, how, 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 there's several ways to do it, but to really tie it back to the finances of the organization, you need you need you need a fairly complex 
customer relationship management system. You need you need you need a way to to see where people are coming from, what's bringing them there. And a lot of hospitals just don't have that. When it right. comes to branding campaigns, yeah, sure you can you know you can do some surveys before, do some surveys after, see what uh, you know what the difference is in perception. Um, but it's a tricky question. I just I don't think that a lot of hospitals are in a bo- the boat in which they can really in which they have the tools to measure to really measure the ROI of some of their initiatives. Right, right. So there's there's kind of two separate issues that you just brought up. One is uh, to do some of the measurement that folks would love to have, which is, hey, this initi- initiative should increase uh, visits, let's say, or volume. You need to have the IT systems in place to be able to do that, whether it's CRM, whether it's uh, financial systems that allow you to see downstream when you know how much money or revenue a patient might bring uh so so there's that and and like you said a lot of organizations don't even have those tools in place but then there are other uh initiatives strategies tactics where it's very difficult to tie a metric back to what it is Mm -hmm. Uh, the classic one that we've brought up before is uh, identity development so in other words uh the well there's just a let's stick with something that's even, you know, less obvious than a name change, a logo change. Now, most people would argue that you shouldn't keep a logo for a hundred years or 50 years or 30 years or, or, you know, down the line because it's going to look outdated and your look is going to impact how people perceive you. Uh, Whether that's the reality of the experience you're delivering definitely impacts their perception. But can you prove uh, by changing your corporate identity, what that will mean to the organization financially. I don't know that you could ever do that. And the reason for that, we've talked about this before, is something like an identity change might take two years just to implement. Right. All right. A couple of years to implement to make sure everything is consistent. Uh, and then for it to kind of settle down in the market, let's say it takes another year or two, whatever we're talking in the, in the terms of years. And again, if you had changed your, your logo in uh, 2006 or let's say 2005, so it's been four years, and now you're in dire financial straits, do you go, well, our logo failed us? Well, no. I mean, there's so, that's the problem. There's so many other things that change in a market, the economy, uh, just different trends within how people use your services, the competition, uh, how you deliver your services, all of these aspects that are outside of what a logo does and doesn't do for people. Uh, so it's nearly impossible to tie that back. Folks have tried to do it uh, tied to, let's say, stock valuation, uh, where they try to control for other things. But uh, you may never be able to show the financial return of a of a new logo, a new ID, corporate identity. Does that mean you shouldn't do it? I, I don't think most people would say no. Right. So it's an extreme, but you can carry that down through a lot of other things. Uh, you know, should you repaint your vans? Should you uh, upgrade your uh, customer service? Should you increase the number of operators in your call center? Uh, all of these things can be measured along a scale. And so I'm just curious how people out there think about that. Do they, do they devalue a strategy or tactic because it's harder to measure the results of it? It would be interesting to find out. We've never really asked that. Uh, I don't think of this audience or even of our clients. You know, I think we we definitely ask how. Well, what are you trying to achieve, and how are we going to measure it? 
Uh, but there have been times I would say where, well, we can't measure that, so let's not set that as a goal. Uh, and I think that maybe that's missing the boat sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Very confusing. It hurts my head. I'm reading a terrific. <laughs> I'm reading a terrific book, by the way, and it's called The Innovator's Prescription, and it's by uh, Clayton Christensen, who I saw speak. Uh, and the book is about healthcare and about what it's going to take to reform it so that it's actually an effective market. Uh, but he's talking about something right now that, that hit home for me uh, as far as marketing, whether it's healthcare or not. And he talks about how almost any industry, any market, uh, and I'm not going to have the, I, I'll have to get the details for the next podcast, but it kind of starts off with uh, people don't have a complete, utter understanding of how things work. So whenever this service or product is delivered, it's really dependent on uh, people and how people interpret things, experts. Uh, it's, it's kind of murky. It's gray. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no guarantee of delivery of results. Uh, it's based on prior experience and what's happened in history. But nobody can sit down and say, hey, if you did A, B, and C, uh, this will lead to D. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of move into where you kind of know what A is, you kind of know what B is, kind of know what C is, and you can kind of expect D. And he applies this to medicine, and he apply and he talks about how this is depending on what you're talking about. Uh, you know, we're at different stages in healthcare. So uh, the final thing would be he uses, uh, oh geez, it's slipping my mind. What would what would uh, SARS be or um, now I'm completely losing my train of thought. But the final one is it becomes it becomes uh, basically scientific. This is A, this is B, this is C. You do them in this order and you get D, which is why, you know, uh, diseases that are easily transferred, there's a name for it. And I'm Epidemic? <laughs> having a, I'm having a mind beep. <laughs> but if you read the book, I'll, I'll bring more details. But it's why things like uh, hepatitis or... Uh, that's probably not a good one. What are some of the diseases that used to kill people? Polo. Thank you for my brain working. <laughs> How now polo is just a fraction of our healthcare. Polio or polo? Uh, <laughs> the sport? <laughs> just killing polio. people left and right? <laughs> polo. polo. <laughs> Maybe I should just drop this subject. <laughs> anyway, we know what causes polio and we know how to solve it. So it's no longer an issue. It's, it's, you don't need experts. You don't need like a bunch of specialists. You just need to follow a certain uh, pharmaceutical regimen. Right. And so anyway, sorry, that was really, that's going to be terrible podcast <laughs> material. Uh, but if you apply that to, to marketing advertising, I think we're still in that first stage where there are certain things like direct mail where you could say, yeah, if you kind of do A, you kind of do B, you kind of do C, you can expect D. Uh, but it's not a guarantee. You're not going to guarantee outcomes. Uh, but most of, you know, advertising is still a lot of guesswork and we're just not there yet. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> podcast land. That was really lame. I will bring the book for the next podcast session and I will have highlighted pages and I will use actual terms that make sense. Well, maybe there's even a, um, preview online. We'll put, we'll put a link to the book on Amazon or something. Yes. And then you yes. can uh, maybe peek inside or whatever their little feature is called. Or even better, I'll write a blog post. 
that actually articulates better. what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and I won't use words like the, the dreaded disease polo <laughs> that was spreading through the world. Okay, so let's move on to something else that hopefully I'll be more articulate about. And that is, uh, like everyone knows, or most people know, every Friday there is a tweet chat on healthcare marketing. And it's it's kind of under the title of pound HCMKTG. Uh, so you can follow that hashtag Fridays at noon central. And there's an hour long conversation about various topics. And somebody posted something last week. I, I wasn't involved, but I just saw the transcript that said, you know, you ought to change this conversation to healthcare communications, not marketing. And I couldn't tell whether they were kind of uh, in what tone or, or how they meant that. Uh, but you could take it a couple ways, but a lot of what you hear in these conversations uh, that, that are under the umbrella of healthcare marketing is healthcare communications. And we have talked for a long time about in this industry on the provider side, how a lot of people equate marketing with communications, right? Mm-hmm. So that could be the C-suite, that could be physicians. Uh, and I think a lot of healthcare quote unquote marketers are also there. Uh, they're not thinking of marketing in a broader term. Uh, and it, and something hit me after I saw that uh, that made me think, well, maybe here's a reason why. And, and we've talked about the four P's, right, mm-hmm. on this podcast, the four P's of marketing. Now, when I threw this at you before, you knew what they were. I'm going to throw them at you again. Can you can you name the traditional four P's of marketing? Oh, is it product, placement, price, positioning? What is the other one? No, positioning is sometimes the fifth P, promotion. Promotion, that's it. Right. Okay, so so that's the classic, you know, one way to define marketing. If you look at those four Ps in a certain way, uh, it helps maybe clarify why so many folks in this industry uh, think of healthcare marketing as healthcare communications. Mm-hmm. Because most of the time, what they're thinking of is that is the last P that we mentioned, promotion. Uh, which could be Marcom, could be PR, could be advertising, could be all the things that uh, healthcare marketers are typically saddled with. Uh, And they don't have a broader responsibility when it comes to marketing. But let's look at the other Ps. And maybe that'll help us define why those who are in healthcare marketing roles don't impact the other Ps. Let's start with price. Typically price in the provider side of healthcare is utterly driven by insurance reimbursement contracts. Right. What you can charge is based on what you've negotiated with the payers, uh, the, the largest of which for many is Medicare, which you don't really negotiate. You're told what it is. Uh, certainly there are areas where that's not the case. Uh, there are cosmetic um, instances. There are, uh, you know, and, and that's changing. We're seeing the, the, uh, increase of people that are paying more out of their pocket yet still even you know in my own case where we've got kids covered by six thousand dollar deductible uh we still give them our blue cross cards because then the provider gives us the blue cross rate which is lower than the on the street rack rate uh which lowers what we have to pay so it still influences that and healthcare marketers have never played a role at least not that i'm aware of in the negotiation of payer reimbursement contracts, right? right. Now, maybe there, maybe there are some examples that we're not aware of, but I would say most vice presidents uh, of marketing at 
uh, health systems. If they play a role, it's a secondary role. It's part of a committee. Somebody else is leading that. I would assume a CFO, uh, maybe somebody in legal. So, so there's one P knocked out, right? Which in other industries, you know, if you think of Procter and Gamble and how they manage their brands, like Tide, uh, they've got a brand manager who's helping set the price. It's not outside of the marketing realm. Correct. Correct. Okay, with me so far. All right. The another one was place. You called it placement. Uh, if you think about place in healthcare. Uh, that might equate to channels. And most of the channel marketing done in healthcare is to physicians, huge audience. Uh, And most of what happens with physicians as far as referrals uh, happens outside of healthcare marketing departments as well. Not not that they don't have physician communications, but there's that C word again. Uh, But if you think about who is negotiating with uh, practices, as far as creating affiliations, who's uh, working referral channels, sales or outreach, which sometimes falls within a, a marketing department, but oftentimes it runs kind of on its own track, uh, or business development, uh, which a lot of systems are going to. So a lot of marketers aren't involved in that. Maybe at the top they are, mm-hmm. CMOs or VPs, uh, but most directors, for example, unless they're a director of uh, physician relations or or outreach or something uh, they're not involved in that it's not integrated with the consumer side so there's another p that's been watered down or taken out of typically not in the hands of marketers with me so far mm-hmm. okay uh, the third p is product now this is one where we've been fighting for years to say marketing should lead or at least play a huge uh part in and and obviously, most of the product that it's delivered by healthcare providers is not under the purvey of healthcare marketers. The clinical product uh, that would fall under operations, that would fall under service line managers, that would fall under perhaps nursing. Uh, nobody's going to turn to the marketers and say, "Develop this product," uh, i.e., create a surgical offering, uh, that type of thing. Though you would hope the marketers are contributing to that conversation as far as, well, this market can support this or this market needs that. Uh, But the one area where we think marketers could help the product is in experience. So helping with develop the experience around the product. But even there, that's a fight, right, Adam? Trying to get the marketers in on that? Definitely. So, so when you break it down that way, when you use the typical definition of marketing using the four P's, uh, and forget about positioning for a second, three of those P's are by definition outside of the responsibility of the marketing department. And so I guess it's not a shock when uh, so many people just look to marketing as communication slash promotion, uh, and most marketers live in that world. Do you agree? Do we just do we do we accomplish anything there, or do we just state the obvious? <laughs> well, sometimes it's sometimes it's important to uh, I don't know. Sometimes there's there's a lot to be said for stating the obvious because sometimes you just you overlook things that are that are so obvious, or you you know think about it in, in a different light. Um, so even if that's what happened, I think there's uh, certainly some good to come of it. Well, maybe it at least helps clarify why the world is the way it is. Right. Uh, and we've talked about this, I think, before in the past, but we've talked a lot about price recently. Uh, but a lot of that is fantasy. Uh, you know, right. like, could you position your hospital or health system around a certain price point? 
uh, does price help differentiate you? That type of thing. Well, you know, if a marketer is truly responsible for the four P's, they would have to be heavily involved in negotiations with uh, the payers in their market mm-hmm. to impact that, uh, because often price is just dictated that way, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, you would hope they have more of a role in shaping product, uh, and also place as far as how and where their services are delivered uh, and how those physicians can refer through those channels. But anyway, positioning is the fifth P, at least where I grew up, and that is definitely something marketers should help drive. Right. Though, again, positioning is a reflection of all four of those other Ps. So there's only so much you can really do by yourself if you're a marketer to set positioning uh, you gotta, you have to, your product has to fit it. Your pricing has to fit it. Uh, how and where you're selling your services has to fit your position. So, uh, but marketers are best equipped maybe to channel that discussion. Mm-hmm. Okay. So maybe that's why people keep saying, Hey, why we keep by default coming back to communications. Uh, though I do think that, uh, we should fight that as much as we can. Yeah. Or on some level, even embrace it <laughs> <laughs> well we should either fight it or embrace it <laughs> well, so really, if you can't beat them join them well there's one if there's one thing that's for certain is that um and maybe this will this will change with with time when a lot of the old schoolers in healthcare start to fade fade away um marketing marketing is often perceived as somewhat of a evil term or kind of a negative a negative thing in the healthcare industry because it's, it's, you know, it's such a touchy feely thing. It's not supposed to be, it's supposed to be about saving lives. It's not supposed to be about marketing per se, but you know, it, it really is about marketing. Um, but I don't know when I worked intern, when I worked in market in the marketing department at a hospital, I often struggled with, with that. And I often talked about, you know, what, should, should that be what this department is named? Does right. that make sense? Would we get farther if we weren't known as the marketing department or the people who were doing marketing, even if we were doing the same damn thing we were doing, but fell under some different name so that it helped people to look at that, at, at those initiatives in a different light. I don't know. Well, I, I guess I would argue that the name of whatever you're doing should reflect what you're doing. And if, if you're charged with, uh, understanding the market you serve, developing markets, and figuring out how your organization should reach those markets, and you're driving revenue growth, uh, then that's marketing. And you shouldn't run from that. That's what a business has to do. Uh, on the flip side, if you're not doing that and all you're doing is communications, then call it that mm-hmm. uh, if that's all it's about. Uh, but, you know, like we talked about, you're not doing anything with price, most likely. Uh, you should have a greater role in place and product. So hopefully those are the two areas that you're, that, you know, you're, you're have more influence in than just communication. I would, right. ho- I would, that's why I would fight for that fight that just, is just communication. Cause I think communication puts you further, not the communicators are further down, but the, the power that you have to just communicate is less than if you also can shape the product and the place, let alone the price. Mm hmm. And I would just want, you know, the more power in the marketing hands, marketers' hands, the better. At least I think that because I'm in marketing. <laughs> but like you said, there are plenty of people out there where they would, you know, burn marketers at the stake. How can you have marketing in a hospital? Right. That's, that's evil. All right. Well, that was a really, I don't know, that was a really esoteric podcast. 
<laughs> What's going to happen from time to time? I think maybe next time we need to come back with something like the top 10 tips to creating uh, black and white print ads. <laughs> you think we need we need to be like so concrete, so detailed, way less esoteric. We'll see yeah. if we can come up with a topic for next week that is so down to earth and detailed that anybody could walk away and use the information immediately. Awesome, even me, even anybody, <laughs> even you, even All savants. Right. <laughs> All right, well that'll be our challenge for next week. All right. All right. So for Healthcare Marketing Insights, this is Chris Bevelo. And Adam Meyer. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you next week. See ya. Take care.